If you will, take out your Bibles with me. Out of today, uh, we'll be looking in both Colossians three sixteen and Ephesians five nineteen. Um, if you want to, it might be helpful if you could kind of keep your finger in one and then open to the other, so you can flip back and forth as needed. They're pretty close together in the New Testament. Uh, But we're going to be referring to both this morning as we look at the question, why does the church sing? Why do we sing as a church? Why do we sing when we come to church? So Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.19, we're going to be looking at both of them periodically throughout the message today, and those will serve as our text. Now, I grew up, as I think many of you probably did, loving music. Right? My, my dad, from a very early age, introduced me to classic rock. And my mom introduced me to country. And she even, she doesn't even know it really, she introduced me to what would become my very favorite genre of music, blues. And she didn't even realize she was doing it, actually, how that happened. But I, I grew up loving music. Even movies that I was watching introduced me to symphony, orchestra-type music, and classical styles. And then I had a best friend whose older brothers listened to the coolest stuff, and they showed me all the great bands that I never would have found on my own. So I grew up absolutely loving music, but music is something that touches us all, does it not? I mean, every single one of us is affected by music. God has woven music into the fabric of the universe, and we all feel moved and affected by it from time to time. And we can all appreciate a great song or someone with a special talent, even if they're not a Christian, because we know that God gave them those gifts and that God is the one who invented music. But it's not just music in general that God has given us a desire for. It's singing in particular. Singing in particular is part of the human experience, part of something that touches our hearts How many popular TV shows and movies are based around music? I mean, think about it. It all started with American Idol a long time ago, and now we've got all of these shows that are talent shows primarily based on singing, like America's Got Talent or The Voice. Think about shows like Glee. Think about all the Disney movies that are musicals that fascinate us. I mean, how many of us are uh, so attracted to movies like The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins and Julie Andrews and all that stuff? Music, and singing in particular, fascinates us. Now, why are we so fascinated by shows and and movies like this that focus around music? Well, I think it's because God created us to sing. God created us to sing. I firmly believe that. But it's not just to sing whatever. He created us to sing about His glory and His truth. Human beings are created to sing about the glory and truth of God. In the 1500s, the reformer Martin Luther, such a great Bible teacher, once said, music is a gift and grace of God, not an invention of men. Thus, it drives out the devil and makes people cheerful. And then one forgets all wrath, impurity, and other devices. The devil, the originator of sorrowful anxieties and restless troubles, flees before the sound of music almost as much as before the word of God. 
And he said, I wish to compose sacred hymns so that the word of God may dwell among the people also by means of songs. I would allow no man to preach or teach God's people without a proper knowledge of the use and power of sacred song. Isn't that fascinating? And so today, I want to examine what the Bible says about congregational singing and ask the question, why does the church sing? In 2020 in America, there are hardly any environments where people get together as a group and sing together. I mean, think about it. Maybe a kid's birthday or the the seventh inning stretch at a baseball game, you know, a concert here and there, but there's hardly any environment where grown men and women get together and sing with one another. And so why do we sing when we come to church? Why does every church service include hymns and worship songs that the congregation sings together? Let's read our two texts today. I'm going to read both of them back to back. And so I'll start with the Colossians verse. Colossians 3, verse 16. There, Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. And I'll read the last part of verse 18 because we're kind of coming in mid-thought here. But Paul says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so, why does the church sing? I think we can take away a few things from our text this morning, from those two verses. Number one, God commands us to sing. We sing because God commands us to sing. Singing with the congregation in the church is a matter of obedience to God. Singing when you are here is a matter of obedience to God. I can't tell you how many people I see in all kinds of churches who stand or sit with their mouths closed when the congregation sings. Congregation singing, it's worship time in song, and their mouths are closed, not singing at all. Perfectly capable, no no sickness, nothing wrong with their voice, just not singing, staring at the screen. My friends, God has commanded you to sing. This is a matter of obedience to the Lord. God has commanded us. Keith Getty, who has written some of the best modern hymns, including one that we sing here quite often, In Christ Alone, he wrote a book about congregational singing. And in that book, he states that the Bible mentions singing over 400 times, and at least 50 of those are direct commands from God to his people to sing. And as I have looked through the Bible, I find that to be true. I think he's right on there with those numbers. Over 50 direct commands. You heard a few of them in the Psalm 98 passage that we read for our scripture reading this morning. Another one, for instance, Psalm 149 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. These are commands for us to sing. This is not optional if we are Christians, if we are calling ourselves Christ followers. God commands us to sing when we gather for worship. It does not say, let those who have a beautiful voice sing. It does not even say that. No, it tells all God's people to sing. 
When my sisters and I were growing up, we used to get embarrassed at how loud my dad would sing in church. And we grew up in a non-instrumental church of Christ. And my dad would sing at the top of his lungs, and we would say, Dad, what are you doing? You know, everybody can hear you in a church like that. But my dad loved the Lord. He didn't care. God commands us to sing, and it's not just the people who have a good voice. I used to have a friend in college who couldn't sing on key to save his life. And he would sing as loud as anyone in the room. Why? Because he loved the Lord. And because we've all been commanded to sing. I think some of the most pleasing sounds in worship to God on Sunday mornings is those who who cannot carry a tune and who sing anyway. Because we've been commanded to do so. Because they love the Lord. God is not impressed with the, the classically trained opera voice in the the pews. In fact, I think many times he's more pleased with the person who has a a tremor or the person who has a shaky voice or that person who might not be able to read and yet is trying to sing as best they can with the congregation because they love the Lord. And so we have been commanded by God to sing, which is the first reason why we do it. But second, we notice in Colossians 3.16, singing is a form of teaching God's word. Singing is teaching. Look at Colossians again with me. Colossians 3.16. When Paul says, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. That's another word for warning. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, if you read this verse in the original language, in the Greek, the sentence structure and the forms of these verbs suggests that Paul is telling us to teach and admonish one another by means of singing. The way that we teach and admonish one another is by singing in this verse. The largest book in your Bibles is the book of Psalms. In the Old Testament, there are 150 Psalms in your Bible. And the Psalms were the hymn book of the nation of Israel. They were written as worship songs. They were meant to be set to music and sung by God's people. And in this way, they would sear the truths of God into their hearts and into their minds. Now, you might say you don't have a great memory. You know, we often say that. I don't have a very good memory. But how many of you could sing tens and hundreds of songs that you've known from the time you were a kid if you were just given the first couple words or the first couple notes. How many of you could sing the song all the way through with no notes at all? Why? Because music sears truth into our minds and hearts. Music helps us to remember what we are singing. It's amazing how Alzheimer's patients can get to where they don't even know the name of their spouse that comes to visit them or their kids. And yet, if that person's grown up in church and you start off Amazing Grace, they can carry it all the way through. What is it about our brains that that music does to us like that? Well, God has created us in such a way that music sears truth into our hearts, even subconsciously in a way that, that other things don't. And so we use this method to teach our children, right? We sing songs like Jesus Loves Me, but we also sing songs like the ABC song. And every single one of us in here, when we need to figure out alphabetical order, we, we sing that little song in our heads, do we not? Because music does this. It sears truth into our minds and hearts. When we gather as a church, we are teaching the truths of Scripture 
to one another through the songs that we sing. Now, because of this, it's extremely important what songs we choose to sing. Right? Because of this, because this is true, that music sears this truth into our hearts and minds, it's extremely important what songs we choose to sing because the songs that we sing are teaching doctrine. And I'll be the first to admit, people are going to remember the words of the songs a lot more than they will remember the words of my sermon. It's because that's how music works. And so it's critical that we sing songs that are biblically true and faithful to the Bible in their content. It's not enough to say, well, as long as the song is about God or about Jesus, it's fine. There are plenty of worship songs out there that are confusing at best when you compare their lyrics to what's actually in the Bible. It's not enough to say it's, it's about Jesus or it's about God, so it's fine. It's not even enough to say, well, as long as the song is in our hymnal, then it's fine. You can go through our hymnal, even the one right in front of you in the pew, and find a few songs that are not exactly biblical. You can find it there. So it's not even enough to say that. It's important what songs we choose to sing. It's not enough to say that's a good song for bringing out emotions. Right? This idea that the singing portion of the service is where we elicit emotions and the sermon portion of the service is where we use our minds, it's an unbiblical idea, right? When we are singing, we are using both our minds and our hearts or our emotions. When you are listening to a sermon, a good sermon should elicit both feelings and true thoughts, right? We're using both here. I loved how Adam referred to the, the Lord's Supper per portion of our service as worship, okay? Oftentimes when we say worship, we think singing. But worship is not just singing. Worship is all of life, right? We are worshiping right now. We are worshiping over the word of God, right? We should be feeling these truths with our hearts, not just thinking about them logically in our heads. Singing is about truth, too. Singing is not just about emotions. It's about truth, too. So in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. I will sing with my mind also. Our emotions have to come from the truths that we sing. Otherwise, they're not connected to who God has actually revealed himself to be in Scripture. And so we sing because we're commanded to sing, but also we sing because singing is teaching. We are teaching one another and even teaching our children truths as we sing. Now, next, we learn from our Ephesians passage, Ephesians 5.19, that we sing to God, but we also sing to one another. Look at Ephesians 5.19 with me one more time. There, Paul says, we are addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So yes, he says there in that verse that we are making melody to the Lord, so we are singing to God. Yes, that is true. And I think almost everyone would acknowledge that. But one thing that is not often acknowledged is that we are singing to one another when we come here. When you come to church, we are, you're singing to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just what's going on in between you and God. You see, there's a trend in churches today that during the song portion of the service, you turn off the lights. Right? You turn off the house lights, except, of course, the lights that are up on the band or 
whoever's leading the music. But you turn off the lights above, above the audience, above the, the, the congregants. And as a worshiper, you're encouraged to close your eyes and to forget about the people that are next to you. And the only thing that matters is what's going on between you and God. It's an audience of one kind of thing. But I don't think this is very biblical. It's not very biblical, this trend. Singing is a corporate event. Colossians says we are teaching and admonishing one another by means of singing. We are addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The focus in the New Testament is never on the individual. It's always congregational singing. The church singing together. In Psalm 34, verse 3, David says, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. In Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews tells us, Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. When we come together, when we do what we're doing right now, part of the reason we do this is to encourage one another, to help one another hold on to Jesus. This is a corporate event. This is not some worship service that's only about what's going on in between you and God. No, you are here not just for God, but for your brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And when you see your brother and sister in Christ singing to the Lord, when you see that, it reminds you that you're not alone in this. I once visited a church where the architecture of the sanctuary was a semicircle, and the pews were set up in such a way to where if you sat over here, you were looking directly at the people over here. And the singing was phenomenal. And one of the reasons I'm convinced it was phenomenal was because I could see people singing their hearts out to the Lord, and it made me want to sing my heart out to the Lord. I could see it. I was encouraged by it. We were encouraging and uplifting one another as we sang, not only to God, but as we addressed one another, as we taught and admonished one another by means of singing. There's strength and encouragement in coming together to sing. Yes, you can, worship song, you can sing worship songs in your car or in your house, but that's not the church, right? Every now and then you'll hear somebody say, I'm, I'm just going to do church at home. That's not what that, that word means. Church is the body of Christ. Yes, you can go home and you can have home communion, which we take to the people who cannot come to this worship service, and we want them to feel a part of the body of Christ, but you can't do church at home. You can't watch a sermon on TV and take your own communion and sing your own worship songs and say you've been to church, quote-unquote. No, the church is the people of God. The church is your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what church means. Church isn't a worship service. Church is people. Church is the body of Christ. And the church is where we help one another follow Jesus. Now, finally here, notice, in both the Colossians and the Ephesians verse, it says we are to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, Paul does not tell us the difference here between hymns and spiritual songs. So you can, you know, take whichever road you want there and try to see what, what you think the difference is between hymns and spiritual songs. We know what psalms are, but it's not going too far here to say we are to sing a variety of songs, right? 
we're to sing a variety of songs. And what do I mean by a variety? Well, we're supposed to sing new as well as old. Right? When you come to worship here, you're going to hear new as well as old songs. Over and over again in Scripture, you will hear the command to sing a new song to the Lord. Not just old songs, but at the same time, we need to sing songs and pass along songs to our children that the church has been singing for hundreds and hundreds of years. We need to pass along those great songs of the faith, those great traditional songs to our children so that they can know, no, you don't just invent your own worship every generation. No, we, we build and we, we owe a lot to our forefathers who wrote amazing worship songs. We owe a lot to John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace and Charles Wesley who wrote countless hymns that are in our hymnal and guys like Isaac Watts and Franny Crosby. We sing their songs and hundreds of people for years and years have been singing those songs because we're not the only Christians. The church has been around for over 2,000 years and we want to sense that when we sing. And so we sing old songs, but we sing new songs as well. There are some amazing new songs being written these days. I'm not a fan of all the newer songs, but there are some really good biblical new hymns being written right now by some people who deeply love the Lord. And we try to incorporate them sometimes here in what we sing. New as well as old, upbeat as well as slow, right? You don't have to be doing the happy clappy stuff to be praising the Lord. You can be doing a slow, soulful, emotional song as well, right? And on that note, we sing songs expressing a wide range of emotions. If the Psalms are our example of a hymn book, well, the Psalms are all over the place, expressing all kinds of emotions, joy and sorrow and lament and confusion and even anger. So we, we sing songs expressing a wide range of emotions. We want to sing deep as well as simple, right? Deep songs, but also simple songs. We need to sing Jesus Loves Me, and then after that we need to sing a song like Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, right? Deep as well as simple. Both complex and repetitive. I'll tell you a funny story. One time I was complaining to a friend about how all of these new worship songs on the radio were so repetitive. Just over and over and over again, the same thing. Yes, I understand the Lord is good after singing it 40 times in a row. Okay? I was complaining about how repetitive these worship songs were. And one of my friends leaned in and he said, well, you must really hate Psalm 136 then. And for a second I didn't know what he was talking about. And then I looked it up. And he had 26 times in Psalm 136 it repeats, For his steadfast love endures forever. For his steadfast love endures forever. Right? And so while that repetitiveness might not be my cup of tea. It's actually biblical. It is. Okay? You see, the church does not exist to meet our preferences. Amen? The church does not exist to meet our preferences. Case in point, what songs are we singing? You see, we do not offer one type of service for these people and another type of, type of worship service for, for these people. No, we worship together. We all sacrifice our preferences for the good of the whole, right? This is an important lesson for us to learn as we come to church. We are not coming to church to get our preferences made. Even more than that, we're coming to church to sacrifice our preferences for the good of the whole. This is a church family, right? And so not every song we sing will be your favorite. 
And I'm here to tell you, not every song we sing is my favorite. But we are sacrificing our preferences for the good of the whole when we sing. And as long as these songs are biblical and singable, well, I can rejoice when a song that's not necessarily my favorite is helping someone else to worship. Because this is not just about one of us. It's about all of us together as the body of Christ. This is part of the radical gospel witness of the church gathering together. When you do this, when you come together as a church, this is a radical witness to the world of the gospel. Why? Well, because God meant for non-Christians to come into a church gathering like this, and he meant for them to see something that on the surface doesn't make any sense. He meant for them to see people who are completely different from one another, all sacrificing their own preferences for the good of the whole fellowshipping deeply with one another. People who should not be able to get along, worshiping together and loving one another. Old people and young people, both sacrificing their own worship-style preferences for the good of the other group. People of different races and economic backgrounds, Democrats and Republicans. People should be coming in here and see what's going on in here and say, That shouldn't be able to happen because out there, it can't happen. Out there, they can't figure it out. And you come into church and you see people who should not be getting along, loving one another and sacrificing for one another. And it shows the gospel. It's a radical witness when we come together as the body of Christ, sacrificing our preferences for the good of the whole. Now, let's close with this. Look at Ephesians 5.19 one more time. At the end there, it says, Paul says, we are to make melody to the Lord with our hearts. With our hearts. And so we sing from our hearts. When we sing, we are to be singing from our hearts, not just with our mouths, but from our hearts. Why do we sing? Ultimately, it's because of who God is and what he has done for us. We mean it when we sing, he's done so much for me. Right? We sing because of who he is and what he has done for us. Singing is the overflow of a grateful heart. When we are singing, we are worshiping. And that means we're praising God for who he is and what he has done. And this is why singing must be based on the truths that we find in the Bible. What we sing must be coming from the truths we find in the Bible. Because of what singing is, it's responding in your heart to what you have come to know. That's what singing is, right? Singing from your heart. It's responding in your heart from what you have come to know. When we read that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, that makes us want to sing. When we read that God created everything by the power of his word and he sustains it every second by his wisdom and his might, it makes us want to sing. When we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, God became a man in Jesus, it makes us want to sing. When we read that God poured out his wrath on his own son, while Jesus was on the cross so that he could punish our sins in Jesus 
so that we could be reconciled to God, it makes us want to sing, does it not? When we read that Jesus is not dead, he is alive today, and he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for us, it makes us want to sing. And when we read that one day he is coming again to gather his brothers and sisters, to gather God's children to him, and we read of the promise of heaven that awaits those who have put their faith in Christ, it makes us want to sing. Singing comes from our hearts. Singing is a response to the truths that we have read in Scripture. It makes us want to sing. So why do we sing? We sing because of who He is. and Because of what He has done for us. Let's pray. Our great and glorious and majestic God, we praise you. We praise you because you are worthy of every adoration we could give or come up with. You are worthy of every ounce of our strength in worshiping you. You are worthy of every single little bit of creativity that we could give to you. And you are worthy of our songs. You are worthy of our voices lifted up because of who you are and what you have done. We praise you today. We sing to you. We thank you for giving us songs, for giving us voices, for helping us to praise you, for giving a voice to what is in our hearts and for helping us to let it out. And we praise you for satisfying us as we sing. As we let out what's in our hearts, you continue to satisfy our hearts in a wonderful circle of you know, continually building praise. God, we thank you. We love you. I pray that our singing would be a manifestation of that love. And I pray that as we do this, others would look in and see what is going on and see this radical witness of congregational singing, and they would want what is going on in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.